We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now that's what I call science. Hello, listeners. You're tuned into That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio and podcast show that brings independent and interesting STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine, to you from Tasmania. This show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium news station, so head on over to edge.org.au for more information about them. I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palo and Pakana. We're recording here on Luchuita, and as we are a podcast, we would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from where you, our listener, are tuning in from. On behalf of everyone here, I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Ollie Dove and I'm joined today by my friend and today's guest, Noemi Frisco. And our guest this week is not just any guest listener, but is actually a dear friend of mine, as I said. So back in 2019, we were sent each other's emails by our mutual supervisor ahead of us both making the move from Europe to here. And Noemi was the first friend I made in the world of PhD, and I'm glad to say we're still friends. We've been out on fieldwork adventures together, we've lamented over our PhDs together, and we've gone for numerous coffee breaks to survive the past few years and to get through it together. But obviously, she's had a rich and a full life beyond willingly spending time with me. And originally from the north of France, Noemi studied a bachelor in biology and went to Quebec for a master in oceanography, where she studied Arctic benthic communities. So to start us off with, no, what did you get up to between your master's and your current PhD? After my master in oceanography, I went back to France, where I'm from, uh, closer to my family, and I was trying to find a job in um, marine biology research. And I didn't find anything. It was really hard at the time to find a job. So I did all the job. Uh, I started by really <laughs> basic job, like working in a supermarket, uh, you know, just to have money to pay rent and everything. And I ended up working as a marine observer. So this work uh, is consisting of you um, go on fishing boat with the fishermen. You spend like several weeks with them to several months and you just um, look if they're following the rules. So how are they fishing? Uh, do they have any, um, are they fishing any discard fish or, you know, uh, which species are they taking? Are they taking the right number of fish? Um, so I did that for several months. And after that, I went to Paris because I worked in a consultancy firm working on fisheries and aquaculture too. And I did that for, for two years. It was really interesting. I learned a lot. But at the end of those two years, I was like, I just want to go back to academia and research. It was like my first love. So yeah, I ended up like looking for a PhD and that's how I ended up here. And your PhD is in seals. So how did you end up going from those fields into seals? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. I wasn't really looking... Um, to work on seals, especially, I just wanted a PhD in uh, polar marine biology. So from the Arctic to the Antarctic, I didn't mind. I just wanted in this like big field of research. And um, I saw this uh, the PhD advertisement on uh, the website of the U of UTAS University. 
And it's not the scene in itself that I was interested in, but the method used, because the method I'm using in my PhD are the one I use during my master. So, Oh, that's cool. And we're going to be unpacking the methods that you do, particularly in part two. But to jump back a bit in time, when you were out being a marine observer on those fishery boats, obviously what you're observing, you're making sure that they're following rules and regulation. But does that ever bring up a conflict because they just want to get on with what they're doing? Yeah, so um, the team I was with, like I did one big mission in... um, It was actually quite funny because it was a French boat, um, but with a Spanish crew. So I had to speak in, in Spanish with my poor Spanish. And... The team I was with, like they were all really nice. They used to work with Marine Observer before. So they know what my work was and that I'm not there to annoy them. They know it, you know. I'm just here to do my work and you know it's also to help them to have regulation and the yeah, the team I was with understand that. So maybe I, I was quite lucky with who I ended up with working with. Um, so no, basically I was following them um, in the work. Um, so you go <laughs> below the boat uh, in the part where they were getting the fish. So it was a uh, hang liner. So they put those huge line uh, at sea with hooks and the fish uh, come on the hook. And that's how you get them. So they remove them from the hook, uh, put them in big boxes and you count them with them. You also identify the species. And if there is um, any other species that I caught, like a shark or birds sometime, you need to, n- to make a note about it. You need to report it. And so, yeah, but it went really well. It was a really interesting uh, experience. Were you out on one boat for that whole time or you worked with several different crews and came back to land each time? It was one, the same boat. So I did that for a month and a half. We were in the um, uh, north of uh, Scotland, actually, in not a great time in February to be on a boat. To be honest, <laughs> wasn't the great weather, but <laughs> it was uh, it was it was nice. Um, uh, yeah. And now you're over here in Australia. So, what is the research culture like here to what you experience back home? Oh, oh really interesting question. So in so I did my bachelor in France. So that was my first, um, my first impression of research. In France, for the bachelor and master, we have it's still a bit old school now. So it's a lot about teaching. So you're spending a lot of time in those big classes learning, which is good. So it's a lot of theoretical um, learn. But learning, but um, I did after my master in Canada, where it's more, you also have like those big classes, but it's more about the research in itself. So it's more practical work, so more lab work. Um, and yeah, in I think one of the main difference I saw between France and Canada was like in Canada, you are a bit more free in what you're doing and your supervisor will see you more like a colleague more than a student sometimes. You're still a student, of course. But I I feel like that's the feeling that I had from that, yeah. That's such an interesting perspective because when you're in the same lab, that can be all that you've experienced as well. So hearing that it's different Mm. in different places is Mm. really cool. 
And you touched on the, the methods in your PhD, Drew, you were in because they were similar to your master's. So we, can you tell us a bit more about what your master's was looking at? Yeah, um, so my for my master, I was looking at the Bantic community in the Canadian Arctic. So Bantic, it's a word to talk about all the animals that live on the seafloor. So you may know some of them, like if you watch... Uh, 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 SpongeBob SquarePants, <laughs> like a sea star or fish or sponge, um, they're part of those what we call those Benti community, and those are the most uh, famous one uh, for the public. But there is some really cool alien-like one too, like Gorgon or Crinoids. So it was really interesting because it's like a full new world that it's open to you. Um, so I work on them. So I got the sample on the field, um, and I brought them back to the lab and I analyzed them in the lab to understand how climate change will impact them. Oh, awesome. And that will lead us on to part two, where we then take that over to a very different type of organism. So stick with us listeners for part two as we dive deep into that work. Welcome back, listeners. You're tuned into That's What I Call Science. And today, we are talking about things out at sea. And my name is Ollie Dove, and I'm joined in the studio by Noemi Frieskor from the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies. So, what is it exactly that you are studying here at the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies? Big question. <laughs> um, yeah, so for my PhD, I'm uh, studying the ecology of the Antarctic fur seal. So it's a species of seals that live um, all around the Southern Ocean. So they're, they're breeding on a lot of islands around the Southern Ocean. And uh, I'm interested more uh, specifically to what they eat and where they eat and how uh, environmental change like climate change of human activity can impact them. And how exactly do you study that? So, yeah, uh, so seals, as you can imagine, they spend a lot of time at sea, so it's quite tricky to follow them. Uh, I can't take a boat and just like follow them. <laughs> so, um, there is a really clever scientists that develop a lot of methods to uh, understand more about uh, the ecology of animals that do a lot of migration and that travel a lot at sea. Uh, for my project, I have three main um, methods that I'm using. Um, the first one is to use tracking data. So uh, we're using some small electronic device that we put on the seals and this device will register the location at sea of the seals. When it come back to the island, we can uh, take this little electronic device back and look at the data into it. So it's like giving us beautiful maps of where the seal have been at sea. And um, the other main method that I'm using is actually uh, involving a lot of uh, work lab, <laughs> a lot of work in the laboratory. Um, so I'm analyzing some of their tissue to have more information about what they're eating. What parts of tissue, which, because obviously they're not just like blowing their nose and you're using that <laughs> tissue, <laughs> but what tissue exactly do you mean? 
So in in the past, to um, to look at what uh, marine predator has been eating at sea, um, scientists used to look at stomach content. It was the main um, yeah the main method used, but it's quite invasive and you know like. Like for you, if I look at what you have in your stomach, Holly, I will know only what you what you ate this morning. You know, <laughs> I ate a savory muffin on my way in. <laughs> so, um, so, so, some scientists came up with a really cool um, method. So instead of looking at the stomach, I can look at some other tissue. And the one I'm using, I'm using two in my PhD. So one is blood, and the other one is the whiskers of the seal. Ooh, blood and whiskers. I have questions about both, but maybe we'll start with the blood. So what is it in the blood that, what information can you get from their blood? So from the blood, I'm getting the same information from the blood and from the whiskers. So um, we're taking blood sample from the seal and we analyze them and we're looking at variation in uh, some of the molecules inside the blood. So mainly what I'm looking at, it's carbon and nitrogen and how it varies. And what does it tell you if it does vary? What uh, What is carbon and nitrogen informing you on? Yeah, so depending the diet, um, uh, depending what they're eating, they're going to have a different uh, carbon or nitrogen value in the blood or in the whiskers. So depending if they're eating uh, krill or fish or squid, I can learn uh, from the analyzing those tissue what they have been eating at sea. That's so cool. And how far back, because you mentioned that if you look at my stomach, you only know this morning. So how far back do the blood and whiskers tell you? So yeah, that's why it's interesting to use both. The blood will tell you uh, what the seal has been eating in the last two, three weeks. But um, the um, coolest part of my project is the whiskers because the um, whiskers is a really interesting tissue to look at because if I take uh, the analogy of your hair, for example, your hair and the whiskers of the seals are made of the same protein that we call keratin. And this uh, your hair, once it's from, are your roots, it's going to stay the same. Its chemical composition will not change through time. So if I take a tiny bit of your hair, for example, the tip of your hair, the composition of this part will be the same as when it was when it was at the root a long time ago, like maybe a year ago. And so it's kind of amazing because if you look at the chemical composition along your hair, I can see if your diet change through time. So because the protein that your body uses to create your hair, it's coming from your, your diet. It's coming from what you're eating. So for example, in uh, if you pass from eating meat to uh, being vegetarian for a while, I can see it in your hair by looking at the composition. Oh my gosh, that's so surreal. So you can track how many savory muffins I've had, <laughs> how far back I they. wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So what are the seals eating? What sort of things are you seeing in those whiskers? So when the main prey that we knew already that they really like a lot, it's mostly uh, fish and squid. But why, why we, what we found out by looking at the, the whiskers is like there is another prey that they also like to eat and it's krill. So it's a tiny 
It's a tiny animal that live in the Southern Ocean uh, that look like, like a shrimp kind of, and it's really important for the Southern Ocean food web because you may know that the krill is also the favorite food of whales and many other marine predators. So it was really interesting to see that krill is also important for this species. And you mentioned that you also look at tracking data. So are you able, do you ever merge the tracking and the diet data together? Yeah, that's uh, the uh, kind of the, the strength of this project is like for each seal, we have this blood sample, the whisker and the tracking data of the same seal. So we merge them all together to have like a big picture of what my seal, uh, ha- what it has been doing at sea, you know, where it went and what it has been eating. And given that you work with the whiskers in the lab and I've like seen the occasional one from your work, do you ever get terrified of just like dropping one and losing one and it getting contaminated or is that very silly to ask <laughs> no good question so because you we are measuring really tiny tiny concentration in the in the whiskers so we need the first to clean them uh, always under them with glove with uh, tweezers um you need to clean all the surface you're working on and um yeah, one of the tedious parts of <laughs> the lab is like I'm cutting the whiskers in really tiny pieces and they have a tendency to jump. <laughs> so I lost some of them, actually, not many, like two or three, but it's like, oh, it's just jump and you can't find them anymore. <laughs> but, you know, so I ended up working in this plastic box. So when it will jump, it will like stay inside and I will not lose them. <laughs> Amazing, perfect. That would be... Yeah, that would be like a very heart drop moment when you just see a whisker running like, away. Like you're like, no, no. slow motion. <gasps> That's so upsetting. And presumably you're not just going rogue and you're just nipping to Antarctica and, or nipping to the islands and finding the seals to grab the whiskers. You must be working with collaborators, I'm guessing. Yeah, so I didn't um, took the sample myself. It's uh, We are in collaboration with a team from South Africa, from the Pretoria University. So the population I'm interested in is coming from Marian Island. It's an island between South Africa and Antarctica. So most of my data are coming from here. And this uh, team of researchers from Pretoria University go every year on the island. So it's amazing because... The, through this collaboration, we got 10 years of data, which is quite amazing for a research project. Yeah, long-term mm. data sets are so mm. valuable. Do they, presumably, I've heard bits about attaching devices to seals and things, <clears throat> but do they sort of, is the process that you sedate a seal and then it's like, okay, put the tracker on, get the whisker, get the blood, do it all at once or do they do it on recovery or do they spread it out no it's no it's i think they took it all at the same time yeah so they're gonna catch it you know with a big net and uh sedate it took the tag and at the same time somebody will take the whiskers and uh, and after take a blood blood sample yeah Yeah, very efficient yeah get in get out minimize contact and they also take care of the pup at the same time you know they wait they will wait also you know they will also take measurement and wait the pup yeah yeah i was just actually gonna it's good that you mentioned pup because with seabird work we i track shearwaters and penguins that have chicks because we know that they'll be returning back to their chick and you mentioned pup does that mean you're always targeting female seals with pup. 
Yeah, ah. yeah, exactly. So, um, um, only working on female because female Antarctic fur seal has a really interesting uh, behavior um, through the year because when it's breeding period, so uh, it's between November and March, female we go back to the island. So every year they come back to the same island, which is amazing for us because you're going back every year and you're going to see the same seals. <laughs> and they give birth to a pup. Uh, they will take care of the pup. And after around March, April, they will leave the island and go at sea for the full winter season. So they have those two major change in their behavior through the year. The summer period where they take care of the pup and the winter period where they are more free and they can go wherever they want. Fabulous. So listeners, stick with us for part three as we take a little dip into Noemi's adventures and looking ahead of us with what's coming up. Welcome back, listeners, to part three of today's episode of That's What I Call Science. My name is Ollie Dove, and I'm joined today by our expert guest, Noemi Frisco, from the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies. In part one, we heard a bit about your adventures in the Northern Hemisphere on boats, but recently you've been down south on a boat. So what were you doing and where did you go? It was a, an amazing adventure, so I was lucky enough to be part of a um, research project looking at uh, seals, but what we call ice seals, so it's seals that need ice uh, during the life cycle, and um, the project was part of um, a voyage in a tourist ship. Uh, it was from a Norwegian company, so there is some tourist ship that go every year in Antarctica, and sometime as a scientist, you can come on board as a guest scientist. So you can do your science, and on the side, you do lecture for the people on board. So the research project was to do seal sightings. So I was on the boat uh, with binoculars and looking outside if I could um, identify any seals, count them, look at the behavior, uh, if there is any weird thing happening around them. So that was basically the research. That's awesome. Are there any results from the trip that you're able to share? Or is it still sort of kept under lock and secret for their project? No, it's still, uh, I can't really, well, we didn't find anything major because, you know, it was really like, it was, um, how do you say, you know, when you start a project, it was an essay, you know, we did, we want to, we wanted to know if it worth it Mm -hmm. to send a scientist on a boat to count seals. So, I can't really tell you, you know, many, many reasons that we have for now. Yeah. yeah. It's still very cool to get to go down to Antarctica. I was very envious of all your yeah. photos. Yeah, I was really lucky. What was yeah. it like interacting with the guests on the boat? Did you enjoy the lectures? Did they want to know a lot from you? Yeah, it was interesting because as a scientist, there is a lot of conversation at the moment. Like, should scientists um, should uh, participate to those um uh, tourist um, boat uh, expedition and thing like that. So I was really curious to see the the other side of it, you know, to be inside it. And um, guests, most of them were really interested, actually. 
Um, I did some lectures and you always have a lot of questions. People come to talk to you. And yeah, as soon as they know you're working on seal, every time they're going to see a seal, they're going to come and say, oh, I, I saw one seal. Do you know which one it was? So no, people get really, get really into science. Yeah. And now that you've been sort of north to south, where in the world would be your ideal place to go still? Are there any bucket list items that you'd love to go on a voyage or adventure to? Oh, well, um, actually, you know, I've been south. You know, I've been to the Antarctic Peninsula, but I was mostly on a boat. So I think if I could have a wish and say what I would like to do, I would love to do like a nice camp, like oh. to do really science mm-hmm. on ice. Yep. Uh, yeah, so through through my master, I spent like two months uh, on an icebreaker, like crossing the Canadian Arctic. So it was also a really amazing experience, but it, it was still on the boat, which is really mm-hmm. nice. But, you know, I've seen like those two oceans. I feel like I would love to spend, you know, like a two, three weeks camping on ice and doing science. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so <laughs> exciting. Um, Unfortunately, we're running out of time again, which right. seems to be a very common theme in our episodes <laughs> that we always end up talking to the guest and having to wrap it up. But with your current research with the SEALs, is, what are the future directions for that field in general? Oh, oh excellent question. Um, I think for my research in particular, the future will be on... The method in itself, because there is a, you know, every method has its limitation and um, more and more when you look at the literature, you can see that we need to go deeper into the analysis we're doing and everything. So it would be improvement in the, in, you know, the machine or how do you prepare your sample or you can interpret them. Um, that would be one of the way to go. And I think it's also the, one of the main thing is to instead of using one method, doing like what I do in my PhD is to use various methods and merge them all together to have like this really big picture of the ecology of your marine predator. Awesome. Sounds great. I can't wait to see what you get up to. And fingers crossed that we both make it through <laughs> the last stint of our PhD. <laughs> We're not far now in the home stretch. So. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in today to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you STEM-related content, and we really hope you enjoyed the show. If you love the show, you can get in touch with us by searching That's What I Call Science or That Science Taz on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My name is Ollie Dove, and I'd like to extend a huge thank you to my wonderful guest today, Noemi Frescor. From us, hope you all have a sealy great week. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. That's what I call science is brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find the show at all major podcast streaming services and find out more about us from our social media channels. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all the exciting science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine research in Lutrita, Tasmania. This show is supported and strengthened by Edge Radio, so head over to edgeradio.org.au for more information about them. Thanks for tuning in today, and may your week be stemtastic. <laughs>